of Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, where we're going to pick up at the very next gate in Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 6. And it is the gate that's called the Old Gate. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 6. And you all look so rested. How do you do it? Huh? That's nice. It must be the mercies that are new every morning and the faithfulness that's great every night. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 6 says, Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Pesaia and Meshulam, the son of Bosadea, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. We trust that the Lord will take the things we've just read from this one simple verse and help us to understand more about this unique gate, gate called the old gate. Would you join me please, please as we just have another word of prayer? Let's pray. Our Father, as we've read your word and as we've already been meditating upon it and speaking one to another about it, singing about it and all these good things in our prayers, we ask now again that you will take the things we've read, illumine our hearts by your Spirit's work, and guide us into all truth, for we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we've started at the Sheep Gate. Remember the sequence of these gates forming a perimeter counterclockwise around the city of Jerusalem is going to give us a, a panoramic view of what God has for you and for me in the Christian life and God's overall program for his work in our lives. The Sheep Gate, the importance of coming to Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. For us who were sheep going astray, the Lord Jesus Christ became the Lamb of God, and ultimately the shepherd, the good shepherd, giving his life for us, the great shepherd caring for us, and one day the chief shepherd coming back for us. And then we saw the fish gate, the importance of the fish gate reminding us of the privilege of being a witness and telling others about the saving power of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And we want to get the good message out. Here's the, here's the way it is. Come to the Savior and then go out and tell others. So come to him and then go and tell. The next gate is the old gate. And the importance of the old gate is to have a good foundation, getting back to the basics of God's Word and our understanding so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The importance of a good foundation is ultimate for the believer because it gives us everything we need to grow on. You have to start at the foundation, and it may not be an exciting part of the Christian life because all a foundation is is a ditch cut with cement and re-rod in it in order to have a good, strong support for your growth. But if you start to grow without a good foundation, you have no stability whatsoever. I heard the story from one of the old gospelers. You know, I just found a penny. Somebody said they're not worth picking up anymore. Not to me. I still pick them up, and I'm going to put them right here where they belong. If you lost a penny, you let me know. If you tell me the date on it, I'll give it to you. 
Someone told me, an old gospeler told me the story of a young man that got saved at a gospel meeting on Sunday night. And in those days, they would go out after the gospel meeting into the town, and they would have an open-air gospel message for all the community. Well, this young man got saved, and in 45 minutes, he was out with the outdoor campaign and the gospel. And he asked the elders, he said, do you mind if I say a word? They said, "Uh, no, go right ahead. And he stepped up, and to a large crowd that had assembled, he said, I want to tell you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he gave his only begotten son, for he so loved the world. And if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave his only begotten son, for he so loved the world. Well, he didn't know all the verse, you see. And sometimes that's the way we go, a little bit half-cocked and ready to shoot. But what do we have to give? There is the process, isn't there, that while we have a lot of zeal as a new believer, and I have to say is something I pray for constantly, that the Lord will restore the zeal that we had as new believers, like one beggar telling another beggar where we found the bread. But sometimes as we grow, we lose that zeal and we get a little bit cooled down. The counterpart to it is we can be zealous, but not in accordance with knowledge. So we need the knowledge base growing. Let's keep a balance, not only in knowledge, but in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the old gate's going to represent to us. The old basic truths that are ever new and ever fresh, but it's not in a newfangled way. Like someone said, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. I don't want a new idea that no one's tried out before when it comes to the serious matters of spiritual life in Christ. We make plenty of mistakes on our own. Give me something that's been tried and true and has a solid foundation. Now, I'm not talking about old-time religion. I'm talking about that which is eternal, settled forever in heaven, as eternal as it is the truth in the Word of God. I'm so glad that God gave us the Word that has a good, solid foundation, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, in, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 6, when we read about the old gate... This foundation, I'm going to give you the biblical term of the foundation, and it is the foundation of making disciples. I believe personally by conviction that discipling is the greatest need that we have in the assemblies today. Overall, that's the greatest lack. And I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus knew that would be the problem. And so in order to meet that greatest need of the day, He gave us what we refer to as the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, please? Now, this is not a missionary presentation, you know, but it's often a couple of verses that you'll hear in a missionary presentation. But I want you to realize that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, what we are about to read, and we refer to it as the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the very commission that he gave to his followers in that day, 
and that we still take personally from his heart to our heart as to what we should be doing. (coughs) We should be doing this in the day in which we live. Here's what we read in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power or all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he finishes the Great Commission with that little word, and you can finish it with me. It says, Amen. It's a word of conviction and a word of commitment. It says, Lord, let it be so. If you said amen, some of you didn't, but if you said amen, you're, you're signing on to the commitment right there. By conviction, that will take the great commission of the Lord Jesus and see it applied in our lives. What is the great commission? Well, it's not just going into all the world to preach the gospel. That's just part of it. But it's going into all the world to make disciples of all nations and to teach all things whatsoever He's commanded us. You mean discipling is really the great commission? Oh, it is. The gospel goes first. The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And immediately following a person coming to know the Savior, what should happen next? Well, it should be the Great Commission, discipling that new believer. If you wait very long after a person first trusts the Lord, what happens? The cool-down period sets in. I was at an assembly. I usually get to this particular assembly about once or twice a year. And it's a small assembly. And there was a new family there. It's easy to spot a new family in a small assembly. I said, I noticed there's a new family here to one of the elders. And the elder very suspiciously said, yes, they've been coming for three weeks. We're waiting to see if they continue. That's a little bit strange talk, isn't it? Why not encourage them to continue on? Well, I'm sure they would. Here's what happens. Sometimes we see a person trust the Lord and we say, well, we're giving it a waiting period to see if it's real or not. Like, how long are you going to wait? Well, you know, Brother Mike mentioned one assembly waiting 50 years before they could be entrusted to something. I hope that's not true for discipling. The person who trusts the Lord as his Savior, should immediately become and be made a disciple by either the person that led them to the Lord or someone by realizing the need. Here's what Brother David Stifler says. If you know David Stifler's ministry, you'll understand him better by Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave said, every believer, every believer should either be a disciple or a discipler. If you're not being discipled right now, you should be discipling someone. You really believe that? Believe it with all my heart. The Lord's given us some wonderful opportunities, but it wasn't until we were about 30 years old in the Lord to realize the importance of discipling new believers. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. I mean, I knew it theoretically. I knew it as based in the Scripture. But to actually disciple someone, I didn't quite know where to start. And I didn't see the importance of it. I'd see people saved, and then all of a sudden they were gone. 
What happened? Well, they got through the sheep gate, they got through the fish gate, and then they didn't get to the old gate. And there was no one to take them under their wing and help them to learn the basic truths of God. You don't have to show a show of hands or anything, but I'm just asking you, how many of you have been discipled by an older believer in the Lord? Now, just if you have, that's wonderful. If you haven't, isn't it about time? <laughs> we met a couple a number of years ago from Northern Ireland, and they said, you know, we'd like to disciple other believers, but we've never been discipled ourselves. Would you disciple us? Now, they were older. They weren't young. They were saved as children, but they said, no one has ever discipled us. What do we do to disciple others? And so they moved over for 18 months. It doesn't take that long to disciple someone, but they said, we want to spend some time to be discipled first and then to go and disciple others and have you look over our shoulder. You know, that's really the right principle, isn't it? I'll do it, you watch. You do it, I'll watch and learn in the process of having been discipled, now I want to disciple others. And that's the principle as it should work. In fact, if you just look for a few minutes concerning the importance of discipling, when the Lord Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, he tells us exactly what should happen. Baptizing comes first. That's following the Lord. That's really what it represents. The way that Christ died, I died. The way he was buried, I was buried. The way he was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. Now we're walking in the newness of life. We're following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what baptism represents. It's not, it's not the water of new, the new birth. It's proof and a public proclamation. I have been born again already. Now I'm following the Lord. What do you do with a disciple? Well, you teach them to, to observe all things whatsoever he's taught us, the things that the Lord Jesus commanded in his word. So a disciple is to learn the basic fundamentals or the foundational truths of the word of God. Things like the Bible itself. When you disciple someone, you never want to take anything for granted. Sometimes people come and they say, boy, the Bible, that's a big book, isn't it? <laughs> I got on a plane one early one morning on the way up to New Jersey. It was about 6.30 in the morning, an early flight. When I got on the flight, there was a young man already over in the window seat, sound asleep. He didn't look like he'd be responsive to the gospel or anything, didn't want to disturb him. So I quietly pulled my Bible out, put it on my uh, tray table there and started to read my morning reading with the choice gleaning calendar. He opened one eye and he looked and he said, what's well, a big book? And I said, uh, tried to do a turn of phrase. I said, yeah, but it's a good book. He said, I could never read a book that big. I said, you could know what this book's message is in 25 words. Really, he said. I flipped over to John 3:16 and slid it over to his tray table. And he started to read, for God so loved the world. He said, I know that verse. I said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, where'd you learn a verse like that? He said, my grandparents told it to me. Huh? It is a big book, isn't it? But don't be intimidated by the size of the book. The message of the book is simple. It's John 3, 16 told over and over and over throughout every book of the Bible. Someone said, you can cut the word of God at any page and it'll bleed the blood of Christ. It really tells the message of the gospel, doesn't it? But the book itself, as it's made up, two-thirds of the Old Testament, one-third in the New Testament. 
Just the fact that it has an Old Testament and New Testament some people are not even aware of. That there are 66 books in the Bible. That it's divided categorically. It's not written in chronological order, <clears throat> but it's written in categorical order. So that we can understand the things that are written. A new disciple, a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ needs to, first of all, understand his Bible. And then in reading the Bible, needs to find out what the Bible says about God. What it says about the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What it teaches about the Spirit. It's all in the Bible. It's, it's the believer's manual for living the spiritual life, for walking in the newness of life. Have you been discipled? We should read the Bible, understand how the Bible is written, why the, God gave us the Bible, what the Bible says about God, about Christ, about the Lord Jesus Christ, what the Bible says about heaven and about hell, that there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And the pages of the Bible brings this truth to real life, that it's a real place that we're going to. It's more real than the world in which you live, that you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands. It's an eternal world, either in heaven or in hell. And the Bible brings this to life, doesn't it? The Bible teaches us everything we need to know about godly living. It teaches, a, teaches us about Satan, about demons, about angels, about the rebellion, and about God's plan for the future. Wouldn't you like to know what's going to happen soon? Someone said, if you want to keep up with the events of our day, read your newspaper or go online. <laughs> if you want to stay ahead of the events that are going to happen, read your Bible. It unfolds the truths of God's plan for the ages. It tells us everything about His chosen people, Israel, about the plan for the nations, about the plans for the coming kingdom, and about eternity. The disciple in the Lord Jesus Christ that's new in the faith should have a good solid foundation to understand his Bible and the dispensations, the unique economies in which God dealt in different ways at different periods of time. Listen, the only way you're going to have a substantial and stable Christian life is to have a good solid foundation. Where do you get that from? Well, you get it from the Bible, but it is overwhelming as a new believer, especially some of the names even of the Bible books themselves that we hardly know how to pronounce. And it is a little bit interesting, isn't it? When you hear a new believer, it reminds me of me. Somebody said, I was reading in the book of Job the other day. <laughs> well, the spelling was the same. We especially got tickled one morning when a brother got up at the Lord's Supper. You know, that's a very solemn hour. It's hard to hold back a chuckle sometimes when he talked about the Ewe lambs in the Bible. <laughs> Some of you don't know about that, do you? I can tell. But you know, it's important, isn't it, to find someone that's got a good, solid foundation in the Word of God that can teach the basic principles. Now, I'll just uh, suggest to you one of the best practical helps. If you've never been discipled, to disciple or to make disciples, to use a study guide that will help you through the Bible. We jumped on the shuttle this morning. We want to make sure we got off at the right place for the trail that leads to the amphitheater. And I was so glad up on the counter there was a little map there. Now, I could ride the bus for a few hours and go all around the, the uh, Yosemite uh, Valley, 
and try to figure it out the hard way, or I could look at this little map and figure it out the easy way. And I'm so glad that I was able to figure out that the one-way road runs around behind us here, and that's where we want to get off on number one. So I asked the bus driver, I said, you do stop at number one, don't you? She said, yes, the first stop. And uh, <coughs> I said, uh, I said uh, and there's a parking lot at number one. It's called P1. She said, yes, P parking one. That's number one. I said, is there an old amphitheater near there? She said, oh, yes, it's a beautiful amphitheater. I said, if you stop at number one, we get off at number one. Is there a trail that goes there? She said, yes, I'll show you the trail. I said, I just want to make sure, is there more than one amphitheater in that area? <laughs> and when I looked at the map, I thought, boy, now this really, it helps a whole lot. It shortens down the search to understand exactly what's where. And sometimes a study guide is the greatest help to learning our Bible and to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Now, if I'm making this too simple, thank you, I'm glad. Because one of the simplest study guides to disciple someone or to be discipled is a wonderful little correspondence course from the Emmaus Correspondence School from way back, written by your friend and mine, William McDonald. And it's called What the Bible Teaches. Anytime I disciple someone using this little study guide, I always tell them the first three chapters are so simple that you might be insulted. But don't be. It's a foundation. It's not exciting. It just tells you about the Bible. It tells you all the basic fundamentals of who God is, who you are, who the Lord Jesus is, who the Spirit is. It's a basic foundation. As I said, a foundation to building any structure is not an exciting time. It's just flat. Ditches, rebar, cement, concrete, that's it. But if you don't have a foundation, you start to build your structure, you're going to be sinking one way or another. You'll be off balance the rest of your life. And most of the people do. On the first chapter, second chapter, they say, you know, this is very simple. I said, hang on to your seat because it's about to get exciting. Once you get through the first few chapters of that little study guide, listen, it comes to life. Yes, you add some things and you supplement them along the way. But if you haven't gone through that study, if you haven't been discipled, I just want to encourage you, pick up a copy of that study guide or some other ones that are wonderful, easy to follow. And if you can't find somebody to disciple you, disciple yourself so that you can be prepared to disciple someone else. Now, if you'd like to and you're younger and you've never been discipled or even if you're older, ask one of the elders. After you help him off the floor, check his heart rate, ask him to disciple you again. huh? Uh, it is shocking, isn't it, that someone would come and say, would you disciple me? But the one thing I don't want to leave with you, based on our verse, the old paths, is not just to know these truths, but to actually put them into practice. Let me just give you a New Testament verse or a couple of them. And... Uh, but I'm going to have you turn to an Old Testament book. And it's the book of Jeremiah. If you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. The verse I want to give you is from the New Testament as we turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. And it's the verse from James 1.22 that says that we should not be just hearers of the word, deluding ourselves, but that we would be doers of the word. Here's the way one brother from down south used to say it. 
he used to say, you know, it's, it's good to be saved and to know it, but it's better to be saved and to show it. Doing the Word of God. Someone asked me recently, they said, I want to go buy a new Bible. What, what kind of Bible should I get? I said, get a red one. <laughs> they said, no, no, I don't, I don't mean what color. I want to know what kind of Bible. NASB, NIV, New Inverted Version, whatever it is, now almost the same Bible version, whatever it might be. They said, what kind of Bible should I get? I said, just get a red one. And then it, the light came on. You mean you got to read it. The best translation to have is the one you're going to read. Hmm? One old preacher said, best translation is his mother's translation. <laughs> his friend said, you mean your mother translated the Bible? He said, yeah, she translated it into everyday living. She lived the word of God. No matter what your Bible is, no matter what the study notes might be, no matter how much you may know, if you don't put it into life and practice, you're not doing what a disciple should do. A disciple is a learner not to have a big head, but to have a big heart. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And that's exactly what we should be doing, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, to have the perfect balance, to know what to do, and then to do it. I love it. I'm so glad you know that too. Because when you come to Jeremiah chapter 6, and verse 16, here's what Jeremiah says concerning that old gate. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you shall find rest for your souls. Now I have to read the rest of the verse, but I don't want that part applied. But they said, we will not walk in it. Don't you dare say that. I want you to walk in it. The Lord wants you to walk in it even more importantly. I'd like us just to take the rest of the time and work through this one little verse, Jeremiah 6, 16. And think of five things that we're to do in this balance of what we know and what we're to do. And it's all about the old gate. Starting out first, verse 16 he says, stand in the ways. It really represents fellowship. Now, he doesn't say stand in the way. <laughs> he says stand in the ways. We should be in fellowship with both feet. Now, I want you to follow this carefully. Because when we speak about fellowship, we're talking of being wholeheartedly, 100%, in the fellowship, right in the ways of the work of God, in fellowship with other believers. There are some believers that claim to be in fellowship, but they're really not. They're not in the very thick of it. They don't have both feet in fellowship, but rather they're kind of on the side. And whenever something comes up that involves the fellowship of other believers, their approach is, if there's nothing else going on, I'll be there. But the believer who is right in the thick of it, with both feet in fellowship, standing in the ways of the work of God, you can count on that believer for anything that's going on. Whether we're talking about the normal, quote, called meetings of the assembly, I'll be there. We should be there in fellowship. Your, your place there 
to actually just be occupying till the Lord comes is so much more important than what you'll ever realize to the encouragement of other believers. Just seeing you there and knowing that you have a place and that you're part of the growing, living part of the body of Christ. You look at the early church, even all the way back to the very beginning in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, as we've been speaking, of learning the Word of God. They continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread and in fellowship and in prayers. That continuing steadfastly means I've got both feet in the very midst. I'm in there to stay. But if you're only on the sideline, like some are, you're going to miss out on things that happen, just like Doubting Thomas missed out when he wasn't there on the night of the resurrection when the Lord Jesus came and appeared in their midst. Doubting Thomas, you know what he said, I will not believe unless I see the print of the nails in his hands and thrust my and put my finger there and thrust my hand into his side. Unless I do this, I will not believe. It's kind of like not really being in wholehearted fellowship, isn't it? And when the Lord appeared, he missed it. He missed everything. He was on the sideline. It's easy, isn't it, to start sloughing off. And when you get out of fellowship, maybe with just one foot in and one foot out, if nothing else comes up, you can count on me there. <laughs> and then there's this other one that's right on the very edge, right beside the door. <laughs> Not even one foot in fellowship that if anything happens, anything goes wrong, I'm out of here. Hmm? There are a lot on the perimeter. Let me encourage you. Stand in the ways. Be right in the very thick of it. Don't miss out on anything that's happening. Be part of the fellowship. Now, that's a spiritual part. It's also a practical part. Now, it's one thing to say, <clears throat> are you there for the prayer meeting and for the breaking of bread and for the teaching time and for the fellowship whenever we eat? We call that fellowship dinner, don't we? You know, some people spell fellowship F-O-O-D. <laughs> My favorite hymn in the book is Great the Joy When Christians Eat. I mean, meet. Christian fellowship, how sweet. Well, sometimes we're at the fellowship dinners. And we're at the other things that happen that are fun and, and encouraging and, and enlightening. How about for chapel cleanup day? Well, if nothing else comes up, I'll be there. That's on the side. Now, fellowship. How about when the offering comes about? Fellowship. We're in this. You can count on us. We had a visitor come out, Brother Fred Cozen. Uh, to Africa, and I had the privilege of translating into Swahili his message. And the only problem was you can't use a play on words from English to another language, you know. And so he spoke on fellowship. He said, today I'd like to speak on fellowship. And I said, Leo, nitahubirijuya ushirikiana. And he said, some people say that fellowship is, and you know, I always want to keep your sentences short when you're translating. So I said, watuwingini wanasimo ushirikiana ni? Three fellows in a ship. The translation is three men in a boat. It doesn't translate. But when you're in fellowship as three fellows in a ship, you realize we're in wholehearted fellowship. So he says, stand in the ways. And then he says, notice in the next phrase, and ask for the old paths. 
and see, we learn by observation of what it means to be in fellowship with other believers. We see the importance of a life that's lived out, and we follow their faith. So he says, ask for the old past. Inquire. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Don't sit on a question when you have someone you can call on and make a request. Ask the Lord, and he will answer indeed. And then when he says, and walk in it, it is the whole matter of discipleship, isn't it? I'm following Jesus one step and one day at a time. We walk by faith. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We walk in good works and in wisdom and in truth and in the light and in love and in the newness of life. That's what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Knowing the word of God and putting it into action living it out day by day and doing what the Word of God says. So we have fellowship. We're following the Lord by following others who have gone on before us. We're finding out as we ask for the old paths and we're learning what the good way is and we want to be faithful to walk step by step and day by day. What do you get for all this as a believer in the Lord Jesus? Well, look what it says at the end. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joys of what thou art. I am finding out thy greatness, the greatness of thy loving heart. Are you enjoying that rest as a believer? You can't rest if you don't have a good solid foundation. If you're restless, go back to the basics. Go back to the old gate. Make sure you have a good, solid, established way. What will you find when you get there? You'll find rest. The hymn writer said, My soul has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I have a good, solid foundation. Underneath are laid the everlasting arms. He'll never let you down. Have you been through the old gate? Go back. Make sure the foundation is solid. Nevertheless, Paul writes to young Timothy, the solid foundation of the Lord stands sure and steadfast. The Lord knowing those who were his and let everyone who knows the name of the Lord or calls upon the name of the Lord abstain from immorality. Take that good, solid foundation. Enter the sheep gate if you don't know the Lord. Today's the day. Enter the fish gate and tell others the good news of the gospel. And enter the old gate and be a disciple or discipling someone for the glory of God, shall we pray. Our blessed Father, as we enjoy one more gate along life's way, we thank you that you have established this path for us to follow. And we pray that many will enter that old gate and find a way that's tested and true, the eternal way that you have given us in your precious word. For we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.